Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in beautiful, sunny, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, where I am in the middle of week four, I guess, week three, week four, I don't know, the days all run together after a while. We're right in the the dead smack center of uh, the World Series of Poker. I'm keeping my spirits high, even though my results have been lackluster thus far. Uh, I feel I've been playing well. I've been having a lot of fun at the tables. And I do think that my day will come. I have a few small caches, but nothing to write home about. I tried desperately to get a guest to join me for this podcast, but everyone is busy, either with professional obligations, such as charity events they have to do, or things like that, or more of them are just everybody's playing. So... Uh, It is that time of year when the poker community comes to Vegas and plays nonstop poker for like seven or eight weeks in a row. And so uh, it's been harder than I thought it might be to get guests for the podcast. But today I might have a slightly shorter than usual episode for you guys, but I hope to entertain you with some stories from the felt. And of course, there will be lots and lots of strategy to discuss. Uh, before I get into any of that, I want to give you guys an update on my uh, Major League Baseball wager with David Tuckman, who many of you have probably been enjoying, either on PokerGo or CBS All Access, where he is basically doing commentary for all types of bracelet events here at the WSOP all summer long. Uh, he and Our colleague, Norman Chad, whom, uh, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows Norman from the ESPN World Series of Poker broadcast from the beginning of time. Uh, So David and I have a very large bet on how many games the Orioles will win this year. I'd say it would be over 58 and a half. And Norman, Norman Chad and I are on the same side of this bet, the two of us being the two Marylanders in the bet. Uh, Right now, baseball season is about halfway over, and the Orioles have won 22 games. So uh, the bet is looking really good for Mr. Tuckman. Um, I did not expect that the Orioles would be the world champions this year. No one thought they had a shot at winning the World Series, but I just didn't think they would be so bad. Uh, And they've had several long losing streaks in the process. And so... Uh, They've only won 22 of their first 79 games, so there are 83 more games to play, and we need them to win at least 29, uh, sorry, 39 of those games. So uh, my math is off, 37 of those games. Okay, that's that's correct. Uh, Either way, whether I can do math or not, it's a long shot that uh, my team will (laughs) get it together (laughs) after the All-Star break and suddenly start winning something they have not been doing all year long. So uh, I know some people were interested in that, so I wanted to give you guys the update 
on how that's going. The trash talk from Norman Chad has actually completely stopped, which tells you exactly how badly this bet has been going because the first few weeks of the season, he was nonstop trash talk all the time. Wouldn't let Tuckman let it go about how the Orioles had won three of the first four games this year or something like that. So, uh, yeah, that's that's all died down now, and I think he's trying to forget that he made such a wager. Uh, in other news, uh, but also in the prop world, I believe that Norman Chad has some sort of bet with uh, Daniel Negranu, and that bet is a lot more interesting, I think, for most of you. Uh, it's basically who's going to have a better summer. And Daniel is down for the summer, I think, or maybe not because he did get heads up with Johnny World in that uh, tournament the other day. But Daniel has played so many events, and Norman has picked and chosen very carefully. So he's been boasting about how he is winning the bet against, you know, arguably one of the greatest players who ever lived. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like getting cocky in week two of the World Series of Poker. It's kind of a big mistake because there is so much more poker to play. And I don't have a horse in that race, but I definitely uh, am entertained by what's going on there. And I hope you are, too. Uh, The WSOP brings out all of this kind of stuff. We get to sit back, relax, have some fun, uh, play lots and lots of poker uh, and, you know, find other ways to entertain ourselves, whether it's whether this guy can lose 60 pounds in a year or uh, this guy has getting odds of, over whether he can, you know, beat one of the best in the world at a at a uh, full summer uh, results challenge, if you will. So that kind of stuff is going on. So if you care, please start rooting for the Orioles. They need all the help they can get, and so do I. I might have to uh, <laughs> get a real job <laughs> if I lose this bet to Tuckman. Just kidding. I'd rather die. All right, so let's talk about some hands that I played. This hand comes from the Colossus, which uh, I don't want to reveal the results or anything. I um, I got there early. It, the Colossus is one of the early tournaments. It starts at 10 a.m. And when I first sat down, there was uh, only, there were only five players at my table, including me. And I was there from the very beginning. So from the first hand, uh, I started raising. You know, I was dealt an ace, and then I was dealt a pair. So it looked like I showed up ready to just raise every hand for the rest of my life. Uh, not so. I mean, certainly I would open my my uh, open up my range a little bit for raising pre-flop at a five-handed table. Um, but I was not going crazy, although my image immediately became crazy. Well, there's a player at my table sitting across from me. I was in the sixth seat and he was in the one seat. There were two players between us on my right and one on my left. Does that sound right? Yeah. So he, um, he's, he was young, maybe like 28. 28 to 32, like in that range. Um, Kind of a well-dressed, for a poker player, uh, Asian guy. Button, like like a golf type of shirt. Um, 
he had a little bit of a of a swagger to him. He had expensive looking eyeglasses that he was wearing. And he seemed like he was going to take it upon himself to get into a raising war with me. So after it it became apparent that I was becoming table captain, <laughs> but I really wasn't, but it just looked that way. Uh, he started playing back at me. And I, I really felt like for the first half hour or so, he was trying to assert his dominance and he really wanted to get involved with me. Um, in between, he bluffed another player in a really big bet and showed, uh, I think it was a 10-3 suited. So he was definitely not there to wait for premium hands. Now in this tournament, you start with 40,000 chips and the blinds are 100 and 100 with no ante. So you just start with 400 big blinds. Uh, by the time we got to level two, which was 100, 200 with no ante, uh, we now had six players at the table. So I'm under the gun with the ace, king of spades, ace of spades, king of spades, and I opened to 600, which was basically the standard raise at our table. Um, the player on my left, who was... Well, okay, so the only two that seem to have a lot of experience are myself and the other player that I already described. So the other three guys and now the fourth guy who just joined are, uh, they seem like they're recreational players. I don't expect them to be bluffing a lot. I mostly think that they will be playing solid values and playing their hands, you know, according to Hoyle. So... With that in mind, the player on my left, I, I saw him when he sat down. He showed a Georgia license plate, and uh, he's probably in his early 50s, very thick Georgia accent, um, talks a lot at the table, but mostly under his breath. Uh, in one hand that he and I played together earlier, I made a bet on the river. Uh, I tried to bluff him when the ace hit on the river and he, the final board in that hand was something like ace, jack, jack, nine, seven. And I bluffed the ace on the river and my opponent said in a very thick Georgia accent, well, I guess you got the one you were looking for and paid it off anyway with pocket fours. So <laughs> he called a big river bet with an underpair after giving the speech that he thought that I must have hit the river. Anyway, uh, that's a little bit of a read on him. So he flat calls. Then the uh, Asian player with the cool glasses raised it to 2,600. And then it's back to me. And I think this is a close decision here. At a six-handed table, having been three-bet with the suited ace-king, uh, I think generally 
you're so deep, you're not going to get all in, right? I mean, we have, like, I have 50,000. Most of my opponents have, like, 40,000 or at least 30,000. The guy who has now three bet this is the uh, Asian player I described before, and he's got 190 big blinds. He's got 38,000 chips. His M is, like, uh, 127 or something like that. Uh, I hope my math is right there. Yeah, 38,000 divided by 300. Yeah, it's about 127. Um, So we're not really looking to get all in. But do I keep raising uh, and possibly get rid of the Georgia player who's likely to call if I call? Or do I... uh, Or do I just call and and play a three-handed pot? So... These are the decisions that we have to make. And in this spot, I chose to keep raising. A lot of it has to do with the um, dynamics that I discussed already between myself and the bespectacled Asian player. Uh, So I made it 7,500. So it was a raise, 600, and call, and then a three bet to 2,600. And now I'm raising it again to 7,500. The Georgia player finally folds. And now the Asian guy asks the dealer how much I made it and then goes all in for 38,000. Um, okay. Now, in Caro's book of tells, he describes a player saying, How much I'm all in or how much I re raise. This kind of language is typically a sign of strength. Uh, so that's a question I have to ask. Like, how strong is strength, right? Um, does he ever have a worse ace? I really don't think so. I mean, he's going to do this with ace-jack, ace-queen, ace-10. I really, really don't think so. Um, so that leaves pairs and bluffs. I think... He has a few bluffs. I think he has mostly pairs. So now I have to try to get a read. I'm actually, I I was never considering what would happen if he just shoved. Because I really don't think there's any hand that he should shove. Uh, It does kind of make sense if he has ace-king and he wants to see all five. But again, we have so many chips. This is just a crazy spot for ace-king suited. Um, We do have the opportunity to re-enter the tournament. You can buy in again for $400. Now, just as an aside, guys, there's a difference between re-entries and re-buys. In a re-buy tournament, uh, there's no rake on the re-buys, and you don't get a new table assignment. You stay at the same table. When you lose your chips, you announce re-buy. Somebody comes around, gives you more chips, and adds the money you spend on those chips directly to the prize pool. Uh, that's how rebuys work. Uh, in a re-entry, it's just like you're a whole new player. You don't get the same table. Well, sometimes you do, but usually you don't. So it's you have to pay the rake again, and that is the biggest difference between a rebuy tournament, which used to be extremely common, and now I hardly ever see them, and a tournament that allows re-entry. Basically, the casino's greed allows them to double-dip you and triple-dip you and so that's why you see tournaments where registration is open for 12 or 14 hours 
uh, because they want to get as many entries as they can because they're raking each and every one. So uh, this is a re-entry tournament. So if I call and lose, I will be able to buy in again for $400. Um, if I call and win, I will eliminate the only player at my table that uh, has this X-factor unpredictability quotient. So that's a case for calling. Um, my read on him was kind of nebulous. I really didn't have a sense of how strong or weak he was based on his body language, breathing patterns, and things like that. Um, he looked intense, but I think I would look intense with aces there. So it doesn't really tell us anything. Um, one thing I considered is that this player who has been jockeying back and forth for position against me could well have uh, too many bluffs in his range. So what I mean by that is think of the uh, the tilt factor if he turns over like a 10-deuce after I fold ace-king suited, which I think if he's bluffing me here, he will turn it over. Um, so it's pretty close, but I did call, and he had ace-queen. I don't see any reason to play ace-queen this way. It just goes to show how little people really know about deep stack, no limit hold'em. Um, you know, what's wrong with just calling? On the button, he's on the button, he can just call. I don't know. It's a very strange play by him to raise and then shove uh, once I re-raise. But again, the dynamics of the first hour, half half hour to an hour, uh, really came into play here. So after I won that hand, I had over 90,000 in chips, and the blinds were still at 100, 200. So <laughs> it's just a, a crazy spot to be in. So we're cruising along in the Colossus. We have our stack up at 100,000, and the blinds were 100, 200, with a 200 big blind ante. Um, uh, the table has filled up a little bit now. We are seven-handed, and the new players are not really uh, very threatening. I've eliminated the only aggressive player at the table, and now my opponents include the guy from Georgia that I described earlier who is uh, running like God. He's had kings like five times. <laughs> He's just got all the chips. He's the only player at the table that has me covered. Um, and the other opponents are mostly uh, really cautious, just waiting to pick up a good hand. Uh, I haven't really seen any bluffs or any wild plays since uh, the Asian guy with the glasses was eliminated. So that's the uh, situation. And I'm in second position, or under the gun, plus one, with the king of clubs and queen of hearts. Now, since the dynamics changed when the other aggressive player left, I've opened up my sizing a little bit. And also the antes have kicked in. So I've been four and sometimes even five Xing. So in this spot, I made it 800. Uh, King of Clubs, Queen of Hearts. 
the button, who is an older, I, I say older, he's probably late 50s, balding, slightly overweight, um, grayish, goatee kind of look. And he's got a Buffalo Bills t-shirt on. Um, he calls the 800 with 42,000 behind. Uh, nobody else calls. And the flop comes ace of clubs, queen of diamonds, nine of clubs. So we have middle pair. We also have the backdoor nut flush draw because we have the king of clubs and queen of hearts. So ace, queen, nine with two clubs. And I went ahead and see bet 1,000, uh, kind of assuming that I would usually win the pot when my opponent doesn't have an ace or two clubs in his hand or jack 10. So I don't expect to get, what I mean is I don't expect to get called by uh, gut shots or bottom pair very much. I suppose he could call with a hand like queen 10 or queen jack, which again, I block when I have king queen. So I don't see any reason to bet a larger amount. And maybe I could even go a little smaller here on this flop with my condensed range. So I bet... 1,000, and he called. The turn is the jack of hearts, which gives me a gut shot straight draw to go with my middle pair. So I, I think there's a case to be made for betting again, you know, just firing pretty big here on the turn. I've got plenty of outs. Uh, I know that card did not complete a straight because my opponent would never call the flop with king 10. He's just not the kind of player to call with a gut shot, even though he probably should, um, especially when I didn't bet that much on the flop. He's just not there. Very cautious player. So I check and he fires 2000. Now trying to range him here, knowing that he doesn't have the nuts I think that he probably has uh, two pair a lot. I think that he probably would have raised the flop with a set. And I think that he now has uh, a lot of hands that will check back on the turn, such as ace five suited, ace 10 suited. Uh, these hands are probably not betting 2000 on the turn. Therefore, I think the best play for me is to fold. Um, instead, I called, and my plan was to bet, obviously, if a 10 hits, and also bluff big if a club comes, because I believe that my opponent will fold a lot of hands, overfold, uh, fearing the flush. He's just, he's that kind of guy. We've all played with this guy before. Uh, the river is the six of clubs. And let's see how much is in the pot. So uh, 8,100. 8, There's 8,100 in the pot. 
and the six of clubs completes the flush. I decided to represent it. I put in 12,000. Uh, he snap called me with the ace queen offsuit. Um, I'm not proud of this hand. I feel like this hand shows a concentration lapse on my part. I've been observing this player for like at least two hours now. And he is not the type to bet the turn with only one pair. His betting range on the turn is mostly two pair. And he's unlikely to fold two pair, no matter how much I bet on the river. Because people just don't fold two pair on the river. Uh, I'm clearly representing the flush. I'm over betting the pot with my supposed flush. By the way, turning king-queen into a bluff here, because I think I have very little showdown value, if any at all. Maybe queen-jack, but I just don't think... Yeah, I can't beat Queen Jack because it made two pair. Like, there's just no. Yeah, I don't think that he ever has a hand worse than King Queen in this spot. So I'm not. I'm not thinking about the fact that I have middle pair or something. I'm representing the flush, and as I said, this shows a lapse in judgment because my opponent basically informed me on the turn that he had two pair, and I really didn't listen. So I tried to bluff him off of it, and he couldn't have called faster. So that was a a hand, a, a learning moment for me. <laughs> Be careful who you bluff. Just because somebody's tight doesn't mean you can just bluff. I guess I'm somewhat inspired by Andrew Brokus last week sharing with us a hand that he did not feel that he played well. Um if you didn't listen to that episode yet, uh, I think it's one of the best we've done ever. Andrew has a new book out and it's called Play Optimal Poker by Andrew Brokus. And if you haven't gotten your copy, I recommend it so highly. It's an incredibly well-written book. It does have a few typos in it this first run. I'm sure they've gotten them fixed by now. Um, but you know, there's the way Andrew with his teaching background and his debate background is so eloquent and so good at explaining things. So you have to get that book. But anyway, on last week's episode of this podcast, Andrew Brokus described in graphic detail a hand that at the end of the day, he feels he screwed up. So I wanted to share one that I wasn't so proud of too. Uh, moving forward, things have gone quite well. And we now have 130,000 chips in our stack. The blinds are 200, 400 with a 400 ante. So this is a little while later, maybe an hour or two later. And we are maybe a chip leader in the tournament at this point. Um, if not, we are in the top 10 for sure. And we are still at an eight-handed table. Um, I'm under the gun with an ace-deuce of spades. So ace of spades, deuce of spades. And if you want to tell me that there's no reason for me to open in early position with a hand like this 
and that you would always fold this hand from under the gun in a tournament like this. I, I won't argue with you, okay? I think that is totally fine. I mean, we want to be playing most of our hands, especially deep stacked, in late position. Um, and we don't have sophisticated enough opponents to necessitate balancing our under-the-gun raising range, which should normally just include very strong hands. Uh, we don't need to have any deuces in our <laughs> under-the-gun raising range at this table. Uh, the reason I decided to open was because I felt like I was in control of my table. Um, I wasn't concerned about anyone three-bet bluffing me. Um, also, we're deep enough that I could possibly even call a small three-bet with this hand and see a flop because we're all just, we're so deep. And if I did that, I would know that my opponent really had a hand. They do not three bet light at my table. Nobody does. Well, I do, <laughs> nobody else does. So uh, I make it 1100. Again, the blinds were 200, 400 with 400 ante. We are under the gun at eight handed table holding the ace of spades, deuce of spades. And we open to 1100. Uh, I get two callers. One is the uh, Georgia player I described before. And another is one of the newer players at my table um, who seems to be fairly loose. Um, then the big blind shoves for 7,100. Now, he has been kind of waiting for a spot for a while now. Um, he seems like a fairly competent player. You know, not a tough pro by any means, but a thinking player. And I think that he has a good number of hands in his range. Uh, anyway, the, the pot is offering me an, a very attractive price to call, especially when... I expect my opponents on my left to also call most of the time. So it's a little sketchy, but I do call. And so does the older player who is in seat one. He's got about 35,000 behind. And we are now going to be heads up in the dry side pot. So he's got 35,000 behind. He's a older player, 65-ish. Um, he's wearing a Vietnam War hat, I think. It had like a flag on it and it looked like a military hat. Um so that's our opponent in this hand. The flop comes, jack of hearts, five of spades, tray of spades. So it's a great flop for us. We have an overcard, and we also have a gut shot straight flush draw. So this is uh, one of the best flops for my hand. 
But still, I check it because I don't think I can get a better hand to fold. And the old presumed veteran checks behind. By the way, let's calculate this pot. There's uh, 1,000 in the pot before the hand. Uh, I make it 11 and get two calls. And so that's 4,300. And then the big blind goes all in for 6,700 more and gets two calls. So I think that means we have 23,000 in the pot. 23, or is it 24? 23,000, yeah. So uh, we have a big pot here. And my opponent only has 35,000 behind. With the straight flush draw, I check and he checks as well. The turn is the 10 of clubs, which is not a card I want to bet. I feel like uh, for this player to call and call, he will often have something like ace 10, king queen. I just think this 10 hits his range a lot. So... I check to him again, and this time he bets 4,000 into the 23,000 pot. Um, yeah, that's not going to fly. I decided to check raise to 14,000, fully expecting that my opponent should fold every time he has it just a 10. And I also expect that he would have bet the flop if he had a jack on jack 5-3 with two spades and a player already all in after I checked to him. So this 4,000 feels like either king-queen or a 10. Maybe like king-10 or ace-10. And I think he should fold, especially now that we're starting to threaten his his whole stack for 10,000 more. Uh, it's an unusual play. And I realize that once I do this, if he shoves, then I will necessarily have to call just because I have so many outs. And that would suck. But given my read of this opponent, I don't think that he would bet only 4000 with a really big hand, one that he's willing to go with. I think he was just trying to get rid of me, not realizing that you can't get rid of me by offering me 5 to 1 or six to one, or seven to one on a tiny bet. Uh, so yeah, I tried to push him off so that I could win the 4,000. That would be mine immediately. And also have uh, you know, a good draw against whatever the, the uh, big blind had decided to shove all in with. He called, which is extra weird. Uh, and pretty much needs to be king-queen. Like, I don't know what else he could possibly have to call my check raise on the turn. So now I'm hoping that the nine of spades <laughs> hits the river and gives my opponent uh, a straight with my flush card. 
Instead, it's the queen of spades, which does give me a flush and probably gives my opponent a pair of queens. And I bet enough to put him all in, hoping that he would just feel committed and call. But instead, he folded and told me afterwards that he made a pair on the river. So I don't know whether to believe him, but it does. it is consistent with my read of what hands would bet 4,000 and then call 10,000 more in this situation and not just go all in. And I think king-queen is about it, guys. I really do. Um, so yeah, I won the hand with the nuts. And by the way, the big blind had pocket fours and just decided that there was enough action in front of him when he was in the big blind to just go ahead and get it all in. And I don't really hate it. So I guess that'll do it for this episode. I'm sorry that I wasn't able to bring a guest on with me, but I hope that uh, you guys that might be out there wishing you could be in Vegas right now, uh, I hope that listening to some of the hands that I'm playing in these World Series of Poker events uh, help alleviate some of the FOMO you might very well be feeling by now. Uh, I'm having fun. I'm not winning yet, but I feel like my day is coming soon. And most importantly, I'm learning so much every day. I feel like every time I sit down and play poker, I learn something. I learn about myself. I learn about the state of the game. I learn about how people are playing now. And I learn about just improving. And, uh, you know, this is fun. This is the thing I look forward to the most every year. You know, I have an interesting life. I get to travel the world. I do stand-up comedy in places like Sweden, Australia, Holland, and, of course, all over the U.S., Canada, the Caribbean. So I get to travel a lot. I get to go to a lot of great places, and I get to, you know, do a lot of big shows with a lot of big comedians. And, and I really, really love the life that I have. But nothing that I get to do during the course of the year uh, compares to the pleasure that I feel... <laughs> from being here in the summer. Uh, there is absolutely nothing in the world like Vegas in the summer if you're a poker player. So if you're planning on coming, get excited. It's really big this year. Bitcoin's at 12000 or something, so everybody's got money, and the fields are huge, and uh, it's a great time to be alive and healthy and playing poker in Las Vegas. I'm counting my blessings despite the fact that I'm down just a little bit on the trip thus far. So that'll be it for this week. Really appreciate you guys listening. Love all the tweets at Clayton Comic. Sign up for Tournament Poker Edge. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that already. And definitely do us a huge favor and leave us a nice review on iTunes. The more five-star reviews we can get on iTunes, the more our podcast will climb the ranks of gambling and poker-related podcasts. And so we're looking to improve our rating there. And, uh, you know, that's just what we ask in exchange for this uh, free podcast each and every week. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening.